Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time i spent wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness ladies and gentlemen welcome back to wrestling changed my life this is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today is Clay the Carpenter Guida. He's the former Strike Force world champion. He has wins over Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, and RDA. And best of all, folks, he's a former wrestler. One of my all-time favorite conversations. I greatly appreciate the Carpenter taking time out of his training to do this interview. Fan of the week is Bart Mazer, listening in from Frostburg, Maryland. The state of Kyle Snyder. I don't think the home of Kyle Snyder, but I know he's from Maryland. Bart, thank you for listening, my friend. Greatly appreciated. Last but not least, folks, I'm releasing two new audio documentaries, one in June, one in July. The June documentary will cover the Matt Kukula, Eric Tannenbaum, 2001 state finals. Anyone from Illinois knows this is by far the most talked about matchup in Illinois finals history. And we're doing an in-depth look at that match. That'll be going live on Tuesday, June 30th. And then in July, we'll be releasing the Fab Four, which covers the 2014 season of the Oak Park River Forest Huskies and their coach, the legendary Mike Powell. So Fab Four is in July. Tannebaum Kukula is in June. That's it, folks. Let's give it up for Clay the Carpenter Guida. Peace! First of all, Clay Guida, the carpenter, long time coming, man. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Yep, I'm out here in Sacramento. Training camp? Yes, sir. We Tell just got some great news, and uh, I might as well spill it here first, man, um, if you guys don't mind. Hit it. Um, yeah, we just uh, signed a fight against uh, Bobby Green June 20th in Vegas on a UFC fight night, so... A week from this Saturday, man, it's game time. Back ooh, to Vegas ooh, ooh. Uh, for our yeah our thirtieth UFC fight, man. Uh, a milestone fight. I think there's only a small handful of guys that have 30, um, 30 bouts in UFC. So we're about to join the the Dirty Thirty Club, man. man. And, uh, we couldn't be happier. We love the matchup. And um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, break the news here with you guys. So uh, I guess you could say this is your little press release. <laughs> I'm honored, man. Congratulations. I I'm really excited to see you back in there. How uh, not that you can predict the future, but are you back in for a couple more years here? Oh, yeah. I mean, we haven't gone anywhere. It's just been so hard to book fights, as of, uh, obviously, as of late. Yeah. And um, we fought last, um, last August, so it's been a little while. But, yeah. um, man, we're always hungry to, uh, to get in there and compete, you know. And, 
I say this quite often because people ask me all the time about uh, my longevity in the sport and, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, the durability and the length that I've been, you know, fighting, not just in the UFC, but, um, you know, my whole mixed martial arts career. And um, I tell you what, I'm 38 years old now and I'm in better shape now than I was 21. I'm in better shape than when I was 25. And uh, I feel just incredible. Uh, the body heals faster. Um, just, you know, smarter ways of training. Uh, making sure I, you know, rest properly, eat properly, diet, training. Our coaches keep a very close eye on us. And, uh, yeah, we're here for the long haul, man. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, this is actually going to be the last fight in our UFC contract, uh, which is interesting. That'll be the first time that happens because they usually always renegotiate um, before your last fight because they don't want you to be a free agent. So, uh, man, the ball's in my court. Just how we like it, man. Love it, dude. Love it. Test the market. Dude, it's crazy to think that it all started back in Ottawa, Illinois, when your brother was fighting and what someone couldn't, you were in this, you were in the crowd. Someone didn't show up for a way and you go, I'll go in there. Is that how it all yeah. started? <laughs> you did your homework, man. It all started <laughs> at a strip club, as a matter of fact, called the Silver Slipper in Ottawa, Illinois, uh, which is pretty ironic, man. And I had just got off a fishing boat in Alaska because, uh, Everyone knows how much of an avid fisherman I am today. But before I started fighting professionally, I was a professional fisherman. I was working on a 200-foot commercial trawler, so a 200-foot processing ship out in the Bering Sea. And um, my mom and dad would write me letters because obviously, you know, being that far out, thousands of miles offshore, you have no phone service. And uh, mom wrote me a letter. And uh, she, she goes, your brother is doing this. NHB, that's when they call it, you know, that was like almost before MMA. And that stood for no holds barred for people who don't know what that means. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And she said, uh, he's training at this, with these guys, Gilbert Grappling. And I was like, oh, okay, I wonder if that was Joey Gilbert. who has been one of my heroes forever. You know what I mean? One mm -hmm. of the, uh, arguably all the all-time greatest wrestler in Illinois, first four-timer in uh, 2A. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I came back uh, after finishing uh, our contract out on uh, one of our trips. Me and my buddies were heading down to Ottawa, Illinois to watch my brother have his first professional fight against um, a, U, a former UFC veteran, Adrian Serrano, who fought in like the single digit UFCs. I think he fought in like UFC eight. You know what I mean? So we're going back a ways, man. And um, <laughs> we parked, uh, parked in the parking lot. Well, we roll up with this cornfield, first of all. We're in the middle of nowhere. You, you know the area. Oh, Central yeah. Illinois, man, there is nothing but corn everywhere. You're surrounded by it. And all of a sudden, we see this big pole barn, and on the marquee, it's got sparkly lights around it. And we're like, oh, my goodness. We see the sign. The shiny sign says the silver slipper. And we just look at each other. We start laughing, high five, and we're like, this is going to be even more epic than we thought, man. And it was just one of those uh, gnarly Midwest uh, hot summers. It was the end of July, sweltering heat, at least 95 degrees, you know what I mean? Super hot. And we got out of the truck, and we saw the ring was outside. So the fights were going to be outdoors. And we see these these uh, ring cards, uh, these cards bobbing around like, what in the heck? And then we see these, you know, beautiful women walking around with them in the ring. We're like, oh, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, and uh, they had just a little um, aluminum bleachers, you know, and all of a sudden, we, so we pay our ticket. Our admission fee was like 10 bucks. And um, all of a sudden, not even over a speaker, over a megaphone, we hear this guy. And we need a fill-in fighter or exhibition fighter for about, I don't know, anywhere between 155 and 175 pounds to fill in. So come on up to the front table and uh, give me your bio, your info. We'll get you in the ring. 
<laughs> I slammed the beer, gave my ticket to my buddy who's taking stuff. I'm like, yo, dude, I'm doing this, man. And uh, he's like, of course you are. And I went right to my brother, or I went right to the head table first. You know, I started throwing out my stuff. And the uh, organization was called the Silverback Classic. And it was run by Phil Johns, who was also an Illinois wrestler. Um, mm-hmm. I believe he was a state placer. And he was a real tough back in the day. And he fought in the early UFCs as well. So this was a non-sanctioned event. And uh, so he's at the table. He's like, what's your name? I'm like, Guida. He's like, oh, you're Jason's the main event. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. He's like, all right, did you get his permission? I'm like, no, was I supposed to? He's like, yeah, get, go on, man. You got to go make sure that he's going to allow you to, you know, to fight. I'm like, wow, shit, whatever. So I run to my brother <laughs> right away. I start back. I'm like, I'm like, Jay, dude, they need a fill-in for a fight. You know what I mean? They just called. Like, I'm ready to go. And I had wrestled at Harper College, so I had a wrestling background, wrestling pedigree. And I uh, just got off this uh, fishing boat. I was full of piss and vinegar, just, you know, pumped to get in there and show off for everybody, dude. So I'm the, you know, the Alaskan barbarian, man. It's got to <laughs> like, this, this stuff too easy, man. Come on. And he's like, dude, you're out of your mind. He's like, you're crazy. He's like, this ain't just wrestling, man. He's like, you get kicked in the head, you get punched in the face. You know what I mean? It's no joke. You got to train properly, you know? I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, dude. Come on. So am I in or no? He's like, no, dude, absolutely not. I'm like, all right, cool. See you later. So I run over to Joey Gilbert. I run over to Danny Gilbert, John Gorecki, Tommy Lee, all these Illinois badasses. I'm like, hey, guys. And they didn't know who I was, except they heard that I was fishing out in Alaska. They, they heard Guido's little brother was crazy. He was just, you know, living in a Bering Sea. And uh, I'm like, hey, they need an exhibition fight. Let's go. I want to do this. And they're like, dude, you got to talk to your brother. I'm like, yeah, he's not, he's not all for it. You know what I mean? They're like, sorry, bud. So I, then I went to my dad. My dad was there. And uh, I'm like, yo, pop. I'm getting in the ring, dude. This is going to be awesome. They need an exhibition. He's like, sure, you need your ass kicked. You know what I mean? <laughs> you kind of get a little punk. Uh, so then I finally just begged and pleaded with my brother, Jason, and he finally just kind of broke. And he's like, all right, dude, go for it. Whatever happens, happens. And um, there was a – I was fighting this guy, Adam Copenhaver or something like that, and he had like eight pro fights. So since it wasn't sanctioned, they shouldn't even have allowed this fight to happen because this, this guy was a pro. I was an amateur. He was a striker. I was a wrestler. So it was kind of going back to the roots of MMA, where it mm-hmm. used to be single martial arts. You know what I mean? This guy was a kickboxer. All I knew was wrestling. Uh, and I did the best. Well, I tell you what, I went out there. I had a bandana on, dude, a camo bandana. <laughs> I had my old, yeah, I had my skateboarding, like, uh, sweat, uh, arm, wrist, armbands on, on both our forearms, man. I wore Kale Sanderson's, the Olympic year, the red, white, and blue, um, uh, ASIC wrestling shoes that he had, man. Uh, I was rocking those. I was wearing some silver shorts, dude. And I I looked like the ultimate warrior. I thought, <laughs> and uh, we go out there and the bell rings, you know, and I, I get into a wrestling stand. And I just saw this guy look from across the ring. He's like, what in the heck is this kid doing? Dude? And he's, you know, he's traditional Muay Thai or kickboxer. He's like ready to go. And I'm literally in a wrestling stance, like just stalking this guy, you know. And I'm like, all right. So I kind of loosen up i'm moving around i got my cool wrestling shoes and i felt like i was like in a ninja movie i thought i was the karate kid and i just i leg kicked this guy i've <laughs> done in my life i'm like this stuff is too easy man you know i'm like i just kicked this dude and uh i remember i shot a takedown took him down he gets back up and um uh, dude he kicked me in the mouth he did like the diego sanchez kick when i fought him a you know a decade ago he did kick me in the mouth and i took it i was just like oh my god I grabbed my lips. I thought he knocked my teeth out. And, like, my whole mouth just went numb. I was like, okay, wrestling instincts kicked in. I did, like, this funny front kick. I kicked him in the stomach, and I double-legged him. And uh, 
we're grappling and rolling around. And uh, dude, I was like, oh, okay, this is a real fight. My brother just said it, and that rang, it, you know, and it rung true, man. It, uh, these guys kicking the head. Um, so he, you know, he sweeps me, rolls me over. And in wrestling, you know, we're taught to base up and go to all fours. Mm-hmm. And I'm right in the corner of my brother and my coaches, you know, Joey Gilbert, Tommy Lee, these guys, John Garecki, and Danny. And they're yelling, go to your back, roll to your back. I'm like, no way, man. I'm a wrestler, dude. You don't never go to your back. <laughs> and next thing you know, the guy gets on my back, chokes me out or whatever. And uh, so, he, you know, it was cool. We get up, we, we shake hands. And um, it was fun. We had a good laugh about it, had some beers. And uh, that's when it, it clicked again. And I wanted to, um, I got that old uh, competitive feeling again. I wanted to get back into college and, and, and you know, wrestle again. Yeah. And that's when we started training full time. My brother, uh, you know, we would go down to Gilbert's. We would drive an hour and a half from way up north by Fox Lake Johnsburg area, mm-hmm. all the way down to Mokina, Illinois. You know what I mean? Timley Park area where the uh, Gilbert grappling was uh, originated. So we would do that. And that's, uh, that's, yeah, it's where back where it all began, man. A strip, a strip club in a cornfield, man. God, I would pay to see that fight, dude. I don't know if there's footage out there. Dude, I, I know there is. My buddy had the old camcorder, so I'm going to have to have him uh, do some digging because that thing, everybody needs to see that. Dude, and we're, we're going to come back to that and go from that story forward. But before we even got to yep. that, you mentioned something that I found extremely fascinating. After you were done at Harper, you went to – Northern Colorado for a year or semester, but then you pretty much lived out of your truck and drove around the country. Were you doing some soul searching or what was that trip about? And how did you end up in Seattle after that? Um, so man, I tell you, you did a great job. You did your research real well, right? I'm deep, uh, baby. I'm deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, man, it, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I had wrestled a semester and a half at Harper college. I was coming off my best season ever. And, um, that's when I learned, that's when I really developed, you know, learning wrestling. I'm a late bloomer still to this day. And I started to be around awesome wrestlers, you know, Jared Carlin, uh, mm-hmm. one of my best buddies. He's one of my uh, you know, great influences uh, you know, at a young age. And I went out there to live out there with him at uh, University of Northern Colorado. And uh, he was going to school and I was just wrestling on a test because I wasn't good enough um, to be recruited and I didn't have good enough grades. I wasn't getting academic scholarships. So I was just working, uh, building houses out there. And, um, yeah, I was living with Jared for a while. And then I was living out of, uh, living out of the back of my truck, man. And, um, I truly living out of your truck. Yeah. So I had a little, it was a 1991 Chevy S10 Durango. And when I bought the thing, I'm like, wait, I thought Dodge makes Durango, you know, Chevy makes S10s, but it was the only year they made that, uh, that model. This thing was sweet. It was just a little four banger, six foot bed. And I put a couple, a custom cap on it and I customized the whole thing. I put curtains in there. Um, Wow. decked it all out and uh so I, and i put a six foot mattress in the back i was literally living out of the back of my truck i had a little uh, uh i had a heater you know a space heater in there and i would just run an electric cord because uh <laughs> the cigarette outlet cigarette lighter didn't work where i would able to you know, be able to plug it in there so i would have a 20 or 30 foot extension cord and i would just drive around i would stay behind hotels i would stay in alleys wherever i could find an outlet because it was it was Colorado and it was uh, you know January February March I was out there doing that for months and months man so it was winter time no and uh, that's way. I was borrowing I was borrowing electricity from people man and uh, <laughs> so yeah that's kind of that's where it all began and I I began the trek from Denver from Greeley Colorado out to Seattle because I knew I needed to make some big money fast if I wanted to get back into college if I wanted to wrestle at UNC Greeley that was my dream. So I'm like, okay, I heard about this, uh, this gnarly fishing stuff, you know? So I applied for all these jobs, you know, by mail, but didn't get anything in return. You know what I mean? I didn't, uh, I sent in my, um, 
you know, my resume, if you will, but never got any replies. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just, and I called these companies over and over and nothing. They're like, we need you. We need to see you in here in person because we need to know that all your limbs work. You know, we need to see you're an able-bodied individual. So I was like, all right, what, what left to do then just drive out there physically and do it. You know what I mean? I didn't have the money for a flight. I'm like, dude, let's just make a trip out of this thing. So I literally drove halfway across the country with no driver's license at the time. You know what I mean? I was going uh, <laughs> through a little, little rough patch, you know, and um, went out there, parked right by the Space Needle and literally a block away from it. And I pulled out my list of uh, companies I had already had, um, you know, on this list. And the first one, FCA, stood for the Fishing Company of Alaska. So I'm looking at the address. I'm looking where I'm at. I had my map. Back when people used maps, this was even before MapQuest. I had my big old fold-out fold out atlas. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm a block away. Fishing Company of Alaska. It's like literally a block from the Space Needle. And uh, I was just relieved to get there. You know, I walked over to the place, went up to the 21st floor, Fishing Company of Alaska on the little elevator thing. And boom, elevator door opens. The recruiter, uh, Brian freaking Kurt, John, I can't remember, remember his last name. Yeah, I remember first name was Brian. He was over in uh, office, built, you know, office six and sat me down. And um, he goes, all right, well, young man. He's like, I don't know how long. Um, you know you want to be around seattle for but right now there's no there's no openings you know what i mean so it's gonna be for about two weeks so if you can stick around for a couple of weeks we might be able to get you out on the boat and then he gets a phone call he's like hold on i'll be right back he comes back five minutes later and I, at that time all i had was like 1300 bucks to my name i had just got my tax return and uh i was like man i wonder if i can stretch this out i'm gonna to have to you know what i mean that was mm -hmm. the plan to live out of my truck and just uh you know wait till a, a spot open on, on a, one of these boats so he comes back in he's like how long did you say, uh, he's like, when did you say you're ready to start? I'm like, dude, I'm ready to go right now. Let's, let's do this. He's like, all right, you're not going to believe this. He's like, I just got a phone call from our most profitable vessel, the Alaska Juris. Two guys are over it. They're one, one went out. He misses his family. The other one got injured. So we're sending them home on the next ship. They're on, they're, they're on their way back. He's like, you go down the road to this clinic, you pass this urinalysis and you'll be on a flight tomorrow down to Dutch Harbor and, uh, you'll be setting out to what you came out here to do man i'm like let's do this sign me up man so, oh my god and at that point your goal was just to raise enough money to get back into school and get back on the wrestling team right that was your goal that, at that, that point it. yep i was basically a walk-on yeah i wanted to get back and, uh, and continue my quest to be the best in wrestling and re wrestling college you know what i mean it was always my dream to go yep. to a four-year school and to compete on a division uh you know a, a good wrestling program and I heard about the money these guys were making. I heard they were making anywhere from five to 10 grand a month. I'm like, oh, that's plenty. You know what I mean? Just to get me at least uh, my first uh, semester tuition paid. And uh, next thing you know, I'm <laughs> the next day, you know, I got a flight from Seattle. So now I called my parents. I'm, I, next thing you know, I'm in the Aleutian Islands. I'm down in Dutch Harbor um, where the show, The Deadliest Catch is filmed. You know what I mean? And this was pre-Deadliest Catch reality TV show, man. Or at least that one. Yeah. I call my parents. I'm like, hey, guys, well, guess where I'm at? They're like, ah, they're thinking I'm still in Seattle. They're like, yeah, hopefully in Seattle still. I'm like, nope, I'm in Dutch Harbor, down in the Aleutian Islands. They're like, what? You got the job? I'm like, yeah, we're getting on a, uh, on a boat tomorrow. We're, we're shipping out for three months because each contract is a mm -hmm. three-month three -month contract. If you don't fulfill that contract or finish the trip, you, get, uh, you have to stay in your little bunk. You have to stay in your dorm with no pay. All you can do is eat. You can go grab your food, and you're not even allowed to hang out in the galley. Nobody wants to see you. These dudes are as hardcore as it gets. Like these dudes are wow. ball busters. So you get to go eat back in your place, and then they take the money out of uh, 
they don't pay for your flight back. So whatever you have, they take it out of your, your, your paycheck at that time. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I was pumped, man. We were ready to rock and roll. The next day, got on the uh, got on the ship and we start steaming off. We're heading out like in the middle of uh, Bering Sea, almost to Russia. And remember, it was uh, I was a two of the, one of the three youngest kids on there. I had just turned twenty one, and there was a, another twenty year old, another twenty one year old, and the three of us. We were the new recruits. We were the the green guys, and our faces were green to match. We I was seasick for 48, 48 hours for two days straight. I had never felt anything like that in my life. I was absolutely miserable. And I've been seasick before because I've been out deep sea fishing and uh, it goes away after a few hours. Or, you know, it goes away once you're back at the dock, you know, but we're out there and we're in some treacherous, treacherous waves on our steam out there, man. And I couldn't eat for days. I could hours went by and it felt like months. I was like, man, I was literally contemplating <laughs> jumping overboard and swimming back. <laughs> did, you, did you ever, I was going to say, did you ever think about throwing in the towel? Dude, I thought about if I can't, if I'm going to be sick like this every day, how am I going to have, how am I going to function? How am I going to work? You know what I mean? And then just like that, I mentally, I just thought about wrestling. What would I do in this point? And it's like when you're going into any match, you know, when you're going into that dogfight third, you know, that blood round, when you're going in a third place match, you know, maybe get down state or whatever it is. Um, that's what my, my mind just came back to wrestling always. And I literally just talked myself out of it. You know, and all these dudes, all like the veterans on the, um, you know, on the ship, they're walking by and they're doing the, the sound effects, the, you know what I mean, the, the, the throw up, the vomiting sound. So, and then I would literally run right to the gal, I'd run right to the bathroom and throw up. I would grab a bucket, grab a garbage can, throw up right there. Anything I ate, the captain would come, they only had one doctor on the boat. They would cruise by here, eat these crackers. You have this Dramamine, all this stuff they gave me, drink this water. It would just come right up, man, you know. But uh, I literally had to talk myself out of it. And then just like that, you know what I mean? A couple hours later, I was fine. I slept it off. And once we got out there, we went to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week for three months straight. No days off, no nothing, man. And uh, really? I tell you what, when you talk about hard work, the TV show doesn't do it any justice, man. It really doesn't. And it makes stepping in the cage feel like uh, a day at the kiddie pool. It really prepared me for life. It prepared me, you know, for anything I've seen in the cage. And you guys know uh, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the sport of wrestling and uh, being on that fishing boat, that experience at a young young age of 21 really, really um, matured me quickly and got me ready for anything in life and anything in the cage. Don't you kind of look back and think, dude, that was kind of like your rite of passage trip. Like every, every you know, 18-year-old male needs to do it, female too, whatever it is, military, but – that was just your path and you had to come, it's like this great adventure and you had to overcome all these obstacles and, you know, finally get on the boat and then, you know, it changes your life. What I've always wondered this because my buddy did this Alaskan fishing trip too. What is the day to day like? Tell you what, that factory runs 24 seven. And when your sleep shift is over, we're in little dorms. We're in smaller than dorms. You know what I mean? Because there were just these little rooms and there was um, two sets of bunks. And my, uh, my, one of my first roommates, his name was Apiza. And it, it's a huge Tongan guy, huge Samoan guy, about 295 pounds, big old Jack dude. And he was on the bottom. <laughs> I was on the top bunk, you know, um, and on the other side, the other side was uh, the other new recruit, this kid, Adam, great kid. And then, uh, another Hispanic guy was on the top bunk and it's close quarters. And a couple of us, uh, Adam and I had the same shift. We were lucky. So we got the two newbies got to be on the same one, you know, um, but anyway, yeah, whatever time it is, it could be six in the morning. It could be because it runs every um, 
you, you do 12 hour shifts. You work 12 hours on, uh, six hours off, 12 on, six off, basically 20 hours a day. You know what I mean? By the time you eat, Damn. sleep, shower, whatever. So anyway, when you would get woken up, it would be to my uh, roommate Apiza because he was on the next sleep shift. He would shake me, wake up, son of a gun, get up, it's time to go. And I was like, whoa, dude, holy, <laughs> chill out, man. And it's this big, funny, you know, friendly Samoan guy, but they, they, they got these huge beards. They're super cool, man. And they're the ones that really ran the boat. It was the Japanese guys and uh, um, the Samoans. They taught us everything. It was their boat. And uh, they were like the foremans, you know what I mean? The Japanese guys owned it. They were the fish masters. And there was the captain. And then the, um, the Samoans, they were the foremans. They were the, the journeymen in there, you know, in the fish yeah. factory showing everything, how to, uh, you know, how to sort the fish, how to cut the heads, how to freeze them, how to process them, everything, how to put them down in the, uh, the chute, you know what I mean? So that was it. That was uh, how the day started, whatever it would be, you know, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., midnight, whatever. Boom, wake up. So boom, right thing. First thing, you wake up brush your teeth you go right to the galley you eat because you're going to be working for the next 12 hours and uh, you don't get your you don't get um, any a break um, except for six hours and you get a half hour to eat in the galley and when you're in this galley mind you and the, that was one of the coolest things about it was the chef we had two chefs and they worked around the clock as well these guys we ate like kings out there man anywhere from obviously alaskan king crab to flank steaks you know what i mean uh to ribeyes the best you get breakfast whenever you want <laughs> i remember yeah all the Samoans, these guys were coming. Hey, Mike. Mike was uh, one of the chefs. Let me get the six eggs over easy. I was like, hey, what? <laughs> these guys these guys eat like horses, man. Yeah, every day. A piece of my roommate, he would order six eggs. He would get a stack of uh, toast this big. I mean, chocolate milk, you name it. So that was one <laughs> thing. Yeah, they treated us. We ate like kings, and it was just um, it was super special. When we would be going through so many storms, man, you're in the galley, and I remember being at the table eating. And you would have this big tray of condiments. And when we would be in one of those gnarly storms and you're looking out the, the port pole right there, sometimes you would see the water. It would be like up like this and you would think it's coming over the top of the ship. And then, then the wave would go down and then you would see nothing like you were falling off of the edge of the earth. And we would be in 30, we were in 30 and 40 foot crashing waves sometimes, Rhino. And then there would be days, it would be like whatever the uh, most calm lake is by you in the morning, it's five or six a.m. when there's not a ripple. It was just the, the wildest weather you've ever seen. But, yeah, it was funny. Sometimes you'd be doing that. You'd be eating your breakfast. You'd be, I'd have my French toast was one of my go-tos uh, since I was little. And uh, a big old wave would come, and you would lift the tray because the, the condiments would go down this where They would slide along the galley <laughs> table back and forth. And everyone would just pick your stuff up and then go right back eating. Um, and then you would just go right down into the fish factory. And the smell when I got on that boat. I, that, was, that was pretty much the beginning of when I started vomiting, man. <laughs> I first got on, I was like, oh, my God. Immediately, you're, you're uh, shin deep in fish guts, fish eggs, fish heads, and it's just filthy, and there's just water everywhere because there's hoses just to keep everything, you know, um, right. wet and moving around, you know what I mean? Because we're working with, uh, with conveyor belts, with saws. Everything needs to be watered down. And um, so, yeah, it, the, the smell is disgusting. It's, uh, it takes you about a few days to get over it, and then you're, you're just – used to it and then everybody there smokes me and the two guys were the, we were the two kids were the only ones that didn't smoke i mean every one of these guys and they got their cool little uh homemade cigarette hanging things because we're wearing rubber gloves everywhere you know what i mean and, yeah um, for safety purposes and it's freezing cold I mean, not to mention it's zero or like five or ten below in there it's freezing even the in the summer it's cold Oh, it was cold out there, man. Fuck. Yeah. And I was there in spring. You know what I mean? I started okay. there. Yeah, I was there in February, March, until, you know, until the summer. So I got, we got the cold seasons, man. Um, 
and these guys are just sitting there smoking next to you. The smoke's blowing in your face the whole time for 12, 18, 20 hours a day. It's like enough is enough, man. Dude, um, you're, you're not kidding, though. Like, you did that for a couple months, but there are dudes who do that their whole life. And, like, those are some life. hard dudes, you know? You talk about you talk about some of the toughest dudes, super intelligent, um, just uh, no, there's no quit in them. These guys, and a lot of them have families at home. That's what my thing was. I was like, how do you guys – they would show me pictures of their family and these guys would be gone for six, eight months at a time. You know what I mean? It's almost to me, I kind of compare it to almost like a military family or military background. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Learned a lot on that boat. A lot of great life experiences, man. It toughened me up uh, for the, the road ahead. And then, so you, you go watch your brother fight, you fight. You said Joey Gilbert's one of your heroes. And for folks outside of Illinois, you mentioned it, but he was the first four time state champ and and 2a which is the big division in illinois history yep. went on to michigan uh multiple time all-american there had some battles with tom brands what do you yep. take away from your time with uh with joey gilbert and what were some of the biggest lessons he imparted on you oh man gilbert grappling joey gilbert danny gilbert um two of the greatest um to start the the midwest to start the illinois um mma scene you know without them we wouldn't be doing this interview right now mm. um you really believe that yeah 100 percent, man Wow. And it's funny how my brother heard about um, my brother heard about Gilbert grappling. He was sitting at a bar one night after work and uh, hanging out with Lindsey Durlocker, the late, great Lindsey Durlocker, man. Rest in peace, one of my heroes as well, man. And uh, they were just sitting having a cold one. And my brother Jason just thought I was going to scrap. And uh, Lindsey and Joey were buddies, you know. And he's like, yeah, you know, Joey Gilbert got this fight club down in uh, Mokina, Timmy Park, kind of Orland Park, where they're from. My brother's like, no way. <laughs> at the time, my brother was driving his this bad he loves to hunt so he literally had a camouflage conversion van a hunting van and he would drive it <laughs> back and forth from the, from the job site down to mokina illinois they thought it was nuts they're like holy shit who is this guy my brother's you know 220 pounds you know he was like the biggest guy on the team they're like we love this guy jason guida and uh so jay's the one that kind of uh, he heard about it through Lindsay, and he started going down there and he loved it man and um but yeah uh, just a you talk about a, a pedigree of amazing wrestlers down there. Joey, Danny, Tommy Lee, Jay Buck, you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Russell Mount Carmel. Um, just the, the list goes on and on. The BBs uh, trained down there. The, the Giglio brothers. Um, I mean, it was just uh, – there were so many studs that came, you know, through, uh, you know, through Gilbert Grappling. You know, the Murphys, yeah. uh, Matt Kukla. I could go down the list, but you know, they were the ones that really started it off and, the Gilbert brothers, they would fight at Hook and Shoot, you know, which was an organization in Southern Indiana. Um, they fought at, uh, you know, um, MFC. Joey Gilbert, you know, was, uh, you know, he fought BJ Penn. In his, uh, Did he? UFC day, both, both of their UFC debut, man. How about that? Um, that was BJ's first professional fight was in the UFC. And uh, that Joey had a few fights and they brought him in by BJ, man. So how cool is that, that he got to fight him at the beginning of his career and I got to uh, avenge avenge one for uh for joey last year dude bj's uh, one of our hit favorites too man but it just shows you how our career in wrestling it, it, co it comes full circle and it yeah. started right there in that uh that wrestling it wasn't even a wrestling room basically what gilbert grappling was when i got there it was a warehouse it was an overhead garage door not even a warehouse it was basically a garage and um dude there was steel studs coming through the drywall busted drywall and there was metal studs coming through my brother cut his arm he was rolling with mark miller cut his uh, they were grappling literally sliced his arm wide open um in the middle of practice wednesday he had to fight saturday we had to fight in the xfo um it was just uh 
you could see it was a place, a home of hard work. That's yeah. all it was. Nothing fancy. There was one, uh, one heavy bag that at the beginning of practice, I would see Jay Buck going to kick and punch this thing in half, you know what I mean, until the chains popped and it would just be dangling by one chain instead of three. And we would just go for hours and hours at a time. I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, wrestle and grapple with guys like Tommy Lee. I got to right. see him win a state title. I got to see him compete downstate. Um, one of the first couple months I was there, Joey had a stack of CDs and we're both in the punk rock. He gave me a couple of those and then he had a stack of VHS tapes. Dude, forget that. The coolest thing is he had his four state title brackets right there in the wrestling room. Yeah. And when I walked in and saw those, I was just like, man, that just gets me fired up. He had them in the practice room with us. And that, uh, I tell you what, you talk about just, you know, ready to do anything, ready to run through a fire, run through a brick wall. Uh, but then he had his VHS tapes and, uh, He's like, hey, Clay, you, know, you, talk, you spoke to Joe. I'm sure you know his voice. He's like, hey, I want you to take this home. And this, these are all the state titles on a VHS tape. I got to literally watch his uh, state title because wow. I was too young. Yeah, yeah, I still was, you know, I was just a young boy at the time when he was wrestling the state finals. Um, so I got to go, you know, watch uh, all the state matches on VHS. And uh, that's at the time. There was still, there was DVDs out already, but it was cool. Yeah. I suppose the old VHS player. I was pumped, man. And um, that really, really just uh, – got me completely secluded in MMA and wrestling again you know so that was uh that was the beginning man uh, Joey and they were you know they were in my corner for uh, a long part of my they're always in my you know in my uh, career uh, mm -hmm. but they were in my corner for the longest time too and uh, yeah they were at the hall of fame uh induction hall of fame fights they've been there we've yeah. traveled the world together man we're very blessed yeah. uh you know for the Gilbert for Gilbert grappling yeah you met I mean that's that's just so cool that it you just the rain. I always think life is just this random occurrence of events that looks yeah. like a straight path looking back. But at the time, you go to this strip club, you fight. Your brother just happens to be working out with one of the great grapplers in Illinois history, and then so you get in the gym and you just go nuts. You love it. You have, I think, you go like three and three. Then you go on a fifteen fight win streak. How the hell did you fight fifteen times over like a year and a half like that, dude? Dude, I tell you what, my brother and I, we were just like this, man. We loved doing construction, but it wasn't what we were set on this earth to do. You know what I mean? My brother was a union mason, you know, mm -hmm. a brick and mortar guy and uh, a paver. And I was, you know, a union carpenter. And, yeah, it's a great, honest day's worth of work. I love it. Don't get me wrong. We love working with our hands. But wrestling, sports, that's what we were put on this earth to do. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, we knew if we wanted to do this real professionally, make, you know, make money at and keep doing it at the highest level, we had to fast track our way. You know what I mean? To the big show. And that's all I knew. Take these, get in there, take these guys down, ground upon them, choke them out. Get in there, take them down, ground upon them, choke them out. You know what I mean? So I went out, <laughs> of, I went out of terror. I think Danny Gilbert told me at one point, I either had the, the most submissions and the most fights in the world um, in a year, in like, I don't know, 15 or 16 months or something like that. You know what I mean? It was just, it was unheard of for people to fight that often. Um, and I would go back to Harper College because I was, so here's how our day would look. Um, since you asked about the Alaska day, yeah, here's how a day of my, mine and my brother's life would look at that time when we were uh, both working construction and fighting, uh, part-time, full-time, whatever. Cause we would, we would get up four 30 in the morning and he would head off to work. Uh, we, cause we were living together for a little while. Um, he would head to his union Mason job and I would head to uh Schaumburg. I just, he was, um, working on one of my first, uh, just got in the union. It was pretty sweet. My dad's best buddy, uh, you know, he's like, Clay, if you want to do this, you might as well have some, uh, you know, something behind you as well. You know what I mean? The Chicago Carpenters Union has been a huge, huge uh, support system for us for years, man. So I followed his path and, uh, you know, got all the benefits and everything. And to this day, we're still in the Chicago Carpenters Union, even though uh, 
You know, we don't have to, we get to swing these hammers now. You know, <laughs> it's pretty so, But yeah, so 4, 4.30 in the morning, we'd be up out the door, man. And um, I still had the little black truck and I drove that thing back. I finally got my driver's license back. Like things were going very, very well. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go. Reinstated. I'm like, dude, this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to build build homes for people to live in by day and I was supposed to get in the cage and wrestle and kick people's butt by night. You know what I mean? And um, so I still had the Chevy, the Chevy ass 10 Durango and I would get there early because I like to sleep. So I would be the first one of the job site when it was still dark, whether it was Elgin or Schomburg. That's where the first couple jobs were then when I got into the union. And I would sleep in the back of my truck for a good half hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And all of a sudden I hear the knock on it. Boom, that'd be one of my, uh, one of my working buddies. Hey guys, let's go, let's roll out. Before we roll up, bust out the, uh, the door, van doors and we would start rolling out, setting the compressors, hoses up and boom, we would go to work. Work till three o'clock. So right from there, I, my brother and I, we would go meet at Harper College because it was wrestling season. So we would go from working, um, you know, eight hours in, you know, Midwest summers, you know, yeah. I'd be running around on the roof where it'd be hundred, almost hundred degrees or the Midwest Chicago winters, man, where it'd be five, 10, 15 below. So after busting ass all day on the job, right to Harper, go wrestle with the team for an hour, work out with those guys, Mike Kelly, all those dudes over there, Dan Laprino, um, mm -hmm. guys that got me going, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, one of my teammates I was out with the other night, Chris Gonzalez, he wrestled there. He was on the uh, uh, Greg, uh, uh, senior Greco team, world team member. Um, he was at Harper as well. Uh, so, yeah, I would, I would wrestle with all of those guys, and then we would head uh, from there in Schaumburg Palatine, we would head down to Mokina and go work out at uh, Gilbert Grappling for two hours, and that's what we did every, you know, four or five days a week, and uh, over and over. And I remember uh, we, I got a bunch of fights under my belt, and I had just fought um, at the, the Cicero Stadium, and this is back where the, um, or the I'm sorry, the Concordia Theater in Cicero. This is back where the Chicago Bulls used to have. That's where their practice facility was back in like the '70s or something. Okay, long before Jordan did. So I got the fight there. Andre Olofsky was in the crowd. Um, I had just choked out this badass wrestler. He wrestled for Southern Illinois Ed Edwardsville. Alex Martinez or something. He was super tough, man. I choked him out. I did a backflip off the top of the cage on uh, Bob Shermer's Combat Doe is the organization. And um, so that was on a Saturday. And then right back, week, week work started again. So on a Wednesday, I was heading into Harper. I remember I had my phone on me. I was going to the practice room. Got a call from uh, my manager at the time, John Gorecki. He's like, hey, bud. You want to fight this weekend? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, that's why you called, right? He's like, yeah, for sure. He's like, you want to fight in the tournament? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, cool. This one's big bucks now. I'm like, all right, cool. Tell me what you got. He's like, here's the only thing. It's uh, he's like, it's big bucks, six hundred bucks, three hundred per fight. I'm like, at the time, I was like, that's that was huge money. <laughs> I was only making a couple hundred bucks a fight. I was like, oh, this is sweet. And uh, he's like, here's the only thing. Um, it's the fights on Friday. It was Wednesday night. You know, I'm like, Oh, and he's like, it's in Des Moines, Iowa. He's like, so you have to drive out there, but here's the deal. They're going to give you a five pound allowance. It's a short notice and you get to pick um, your opponent. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, cool. Hit up my brother, hit my buddy. We get the minivan. I'm like, yo, we're fighting our first tournament. Man. Let's go. We drive out to Des Moines. We get there. And I was still just like I am today, a little, a little 55 er So I got there. I was 156, and I see these other guys weighing they're all overweight. They all blow weight, dude. They're all like closer to 170. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. So it was the hometown guy. This kid's name, he fought in the UFC. He was actually one of Jose Aldo's first fights. Chris, his middle name is MFing Mickle. Chris <laughs> Mickle. He was a stud. He was a really good wrestler too, man. He was like their um, Iowa stud wrestler. Uh -huh. Tough dude. Hometown hero. And um, so yeah, he blew weight. These other dudes blew weight. Uh, 
And then they, they don't even let me pick who I was going to fight. So I end up, of course, fighting the hometown guy, Chris Mickle. And uh, I just put it on this dude, man, for 15 minutes. And he was just one of those guys who would not – he was like a meth head almost, man. I was pounding this guy's head, ground pounding. I was sitting in his guard doing like these literally like hammer Tarzan punches, and his head was bouncing off of the, can off of the canvas, and he would not go out. The ref wouldn't stop it. I'm like punching this guy over and over with like no reaction. I'm like, yo, ref, this dude's not there, man. He's like, ah, oh, let him fight. And uh, anyway, got my hand raised, got the decision, and then um, oh. ended up fighting this other dude. Yeah, this other savage um, from Denver. This kid was super tough. He fought in the UFC for a while as well. Um, Alex Rodriguez or something. He was super tough, man. Way bigger than me. Big old chiseled up Hispanic guy. And uh, it was a five rounder. And um, this dude was, he was taking it to me. And uh, <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, this is, a, this is a real matchup. And the third round started. And he was bigger than me. I knew, I saw he was maybe kind of slowing down a little bit, man. And, you know, everyone knows we're the cardio king. You know, Let's go. Get in there and throw down with anybody. And I just lit one up down the middle. You know, I threw a cross. And I don't really throw my cross a whole lot. I hit this dude right on the button. And he does this. Wipes it off like that. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I, threw, I was like, oh, this dude, is, he's got a jaw on him. Because I just threw everything into this, you know. And so then my next instinct, I just, I do the old Goldberg double leg, speared him in the gut. And I just hear the wind go out of him. You hear, he, I just heard, oh, like I literally knocked the wind out of him. He rolled over. I choked him out, man. And um, I remember climbing that cage and just putting my hands up. And just this thought went through my head. And I was on like 11. At that time, I was like on 11 fights in a row. And I thought to myself, we're doing this full time. I'm, I'm going to be damn good at this. You know, because at the time, it was still focus on work. Work, mm -hmm. work, work always. You know what I mean? Wrestle, compete on the side. You know what I mean? Establish yourself, then we can do this. But once I did that and I beat a guy that I met, I didn't know I was going to really beat that dude, you know what I mean? Because he was really putting – he was ragdolling me, man. Mm -hmm. um, he was kneeing me. I remember I had, I had, you know, welts and lumps for days after that. But uh, And it was cool because the whole crowd had changed too. It almost felt like a little bit of Rocky, which has helped better been similar in several of my fights, you know, when they brought me in to be a tomato can. But it was all the Iowa – the one Iowa fans booing me at first against their hometown guy. And then the fight in the main event, uh, in the title fight, they were all cheering for me. So that, uh, that really helped a lot, escalate me. And then, uh, yeah, we went on a tear from there, man, and uh, just kept – we had the most wins or fights or submissions in, in, uh, in a year in the entire mixed martial arts world. Dude, that's crazy that you were just – you're just, like, such a crazy guy in the sense that – and I empathize with that. Like, if you're going to do it, you're going all in. You're like, yeah, why wouldn't we fight every yeah. weekend, you know? We go both feet in, man. Hands, right. everything on. All, now, you know? now, you still have that mental image or that mental picture, though, of after that fight when you decided that that was going to be your, your vocation at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I was still learning the trades. I was an apprentice in the Chicago Carpenters Union, and I enjoyed it. I was learning that, and I knew that it's always going to be something that it's good to have in your back pocket. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but fighting was what my brother and I wanted to do. You know what I mean? That's all. We ate, ate slept, and breathed wrestling and fighting. And um, that, was, uh, that was really, the, I think, the turning point of when um, I expected to win because – kind of going back to my early ages in, in wrestling, I didn't expect to win a lot of matches. I would get intimidated by some of these guys. I would see them walking mat side. And you know, I started wrestling doing intramurals when I was in first grade. So however old you are in first right. grade, I think maybe around six, you know what I mean? So right. I started with intramural wrestling tournaments. Um, we would go down, I'm sorry. And then, then we started doing the summer tournaments. I would go with my brother because he would wrestle and my parents would take us to the good old Morris classic down to the home <laughs> of John Durgo. One of my yep. favorites, man, Johnny D. 
So we would go there, you know what I mean? And I was, you know, 50 pounds. And uh, I would go out there and I would get my butt kicked, you know. And uh, I'd have a hard time with it. And then we would go to the outdoor classic. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, it, Glen I Bar, that Carol Stream. Yeah, Glenbar North, home of Tony Ramos, man. It was an outdoor summer tournament. It was um, the middle of June. And I wrestled. I finally made the finals. I was like 60-something pounds. I finally made the finals, man. And that was, took me a long time. So countless, countless tournaments where I would just get these stupid little medals, man. But um, I made the finals. And we had to wrestle on a black mat. And it was so hot. They would have people coming up and literally dumping buckets of water, either while you were wrestling or when you had that quick break after the round was over, after the period was over. <laughs> And I'm on this pitch black mat, and uh, third period begins, and uh, I'm losing by a couple, and my feet go right out from underneath me. <laughs> they go flying there, I land on my back, and I turn over, that <laughs> sticks me, you know what I mean? But uh, I was just pumped about it. Finally, you know, make, you know be, be in the finals for my first time at a young age, and, um, you know, I just, just got discouraged, you know, because wrestling can be, can be tough yeah. throughout the whole length of it, but definitely the young age. It can be very, very intimidating, you know? Um, and that's uh, so that's kind of back where it all began. I used to wrestle for Richmond Wrestling Club. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, the great Jordan Blanton and, um, you know, the Davidson, one of my best buddies, Billy, and his, his parents started that program. And then from there, I went went on to wrestle at uh, Lakeland Wrestling Club or uh, Daniel Dennis, uh, Jimmy Kennedy, the McNevich brothers, the, uh, the Reyes brothers, they were all wrestling. So it was really cool to be part of those Northern Illinois local clubs. You know, yeah. That had, you know, had a lot of success. And that's that's what groomed me, you know, at a young age. How did you meet, uh, obviously wrestling is a big part of your life. How did you meet Israel Martinez and what's that relationship been like for you? Um, I, that's funny because uh, that actually started, I wrestled Nathan Martinez, who has been a huge influence in my, uh, in my career. Um, I wrestled Nathan my sophomore year at the Harvard Open, the Harvard uh, Christmas Classic, man. And uh, obviously he was ranked, you know, top one or two in state. And he put it on me. I got to the third period and he had already teched everybody. And we were wrestling uh, – think of it as quarters or something like that, but he had already teched everybody in, um, in the tournament. So I made it to the third period. Then he turned and stuck me, but I was always intrigued by watching Israel and Nathan wrestle. You know what I mean? Cause is he, is he, I was uh, heavier than him at a young age when we were in IKWF mm-hmm. and uh, Nate was another great older, you know what I mean? So different divisions, but everybody turned up to watch those guys. Everyone would be their mat side, you know, watching those guys or up in the bleachers. They were unreal, man. Those guys were just mat wizards. Um, so, yeah, the Martinez family has been such a huge influence in my career. And uh, I bumped into Izzy. Uh, we wrestled. Oh, oh, yeah. So, I forgot. Harper College, I was lucky enough to Nate, – uh, Nate was my teammate, man. That's when I really okay. learned the fundamentals. Nate was a 57-pounder. I was a 49-pounder. Started at the Harper. And to be able to wrestle with Nathan Martinez and drill with him every single day and him to slow things down for me and just break it down and <laughs> – everything every little bit of it man was um i was very blessed to have that you know and um and so you met nathan first and then you just met israel naturally through that and as correct yeah so we were teammates i, I met izzy at a young age you know what i mean but right, uh, right. We, we, nate and i were on the same team at harper you know what i mean and i tell you what coach dan laprino uh, harper college has had such a great program for so many years and when i walked into that room I, my best buddy jared carlin and i uh wes anderson my brother jason we were all on the, t- uh, all on the team and um Jared was a runner up. He just, um, he had a tough one. You know, um, I lost to his brother, Andy Hyatt in my eighth, I made the state finals my eighth grade year. Um, and I lost to Andy, I lost to Sam Hyatt and, um, my best buddy Jared lost to 
Andy Hyde after beating him multiple times throughout the season. And I really think that is what propelled us to continue on in the sport of wrestling and in our lives and want to do such great things. You know, I mean, we're both business owners now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got great families and um, I'm yeah. so excited that, uh, you know, looking back, like what are the chances Jared and I were born on the same day, three block, three blocks apart in Round Lake, Illinois. And Jared's a super, super high level wrestler. He was a runner up in, uh, in Greco runner up in freestyle, you know, Fargo. And, um, the fact that, you know, we both lost to twin, you know, we lost to brothers. It was like, this is just the craziest thing ever. <laughs> what is the chances that we were teammates? We lived together in Greeley. Um, and the, the way that Dan Leprino was able to put the, that team together and have so many, not just state qualifiers, state places, but multiple, countless state champs in that little tiny sweaty wrestling room of Harper College, man. You talk about guys that would just come out and they would uh, start their career there or they would come back some other uh, – programs and go there you know what I mean? which is kind of how i met nate how i met israel and started working out with those guys um and then israel and i you know we became real close and nate and i we all um they invited me and i was honored to be you know part of uh you know work is you style wrestling help coach and once he got the job at montini and um man those to be to learn from guys like you know their old man jose and what they've done for the sport of mm -hmm. wrestling in the state of illinois it's unprecedented you know what i mean um and Izzy eats, sleeps, and breathes wrestling. And, that, and Nate does. It's, uh, I mean, you see them everywhere all the time. And all they want to do is, you know, uh, help these kids and watch them get to that, that next level that maybe they weren't um, capable of doing at that age. You know, and you've seen the, the fruits of their labor. You've seen what these kids have done, yeah. not just statewide, but uh, nationally and internationally. They've got world champs. They've got national champs, countless. The state champion, the brackets go. They're countless, man. Unbelievable. Now, let me ask you, because you were in the Montini room. Is it true that Real Woods might be a better fighter than he is a wrestler? Absolutely, man. You, I tell you what, Real Woods, anything this kid touches turns to gold, man. He I heard just, Izzy called Dana White, and he's like, hey, he's about to go to Stanford, but he, you should be getting him in because he's an animal <laughs> fighter. I'm like, no hey, I tell way. You what, Real, my, my boy Real, man, we met him at a young age, and he was living in the hood. He's a special story, living in the hood, and uh, Izzy met him. Found him in Albuquerque and uh, brought him and his dad, Ray Woods, you know, great friends of ours, out to uh, Jackson Winklejohn. Uh, Izzy would come out there and train with me and coach me out there. And uh, he started him at a young age. I want to say Rio was eight or ten years old, just this little tiny dude. But he would always show up to practice with his dad, and he would always bring a buddy that he had to drill, he could partner with, you know what I mean? And this kid didn't miss a practice. And uh, and look at him now. I mean, look at what he's done. Stanford. Uh, and that, exactly. Just forget, like, come forget on. just the titles. Yeah, the, the academics. What he's done for his family. He's fulfilled his dream, and he's going. He's going to continue to. And he's going to be at the fight. Him and his old man are coming out to fight in Vegas, July twenty. I spoke to them the other day, uh, June twentieth. So they're uh, they're pumped Heck to be yeah. out there. I can't wait, can't wait to see those guys. So yeah, the the NCAA uh, the one thirty the forty ones better watch out for Real Woods. And, uh, <laughs> the mixed martial arts world better watch out for Real Woods, man, because he is the truth. Dude, he. It was right there with Pletcher. Push him to the line early in the season. Man, I was oh, really excited man. for him. Man. Absolutely. You talk about a match where Pletcher probably had to go back to the drawing boards and think, whoa, boy, this whole, this whole season, um, you know, uh, I got to yeah. rethink things and, you know, and watch out for some of these guys, you know. So I'll probably I'll tell you what, it played to Pletcher too. For sure. Now, two things before we let you go. The last is how did wrestling change your life? So you know that's coming. But the other thing is you're wearing the shirt now, Grills and Thrills. What is yep, this company, and how can folks get in touch with you if they want to do something? Because it seems like a pretty awesome gig, given your experience fishing. 
Um, I appreciate you bringing that up, man, and, and plugging it. Uh, I teamed up with uh, one of my one of my friends and former opponents, uh, Chad Mendez, uh, Chad Money Mendez, who was uh, an NCAA finalist. You know, who has some of the most prolific fights in, in MMA history in the 145 pound division. Yeah, you know what I mean against the Jose Aldo's, the McGregor's. You know, what I mean knockouts. Of, you know, what I mean <laughs> of the year. The guy's just a savage. That and, McGregor uh, fight key. to this day is one of my favorites. He took that on such absolutely. short notice. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I forgot yeah, about no, that absolutely. fight. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I was I was out fishing in uh, in Oswego. As a matter of fact, I was on one of these private quarries out there fishing, and I'm just smashing these bass left and right. Just these <laughs> things are just, just screaming off the reel, man. I was just crushing them left and right. So I Facetime Chad. I hit him up, call him like, "Yo, bud, dude, I got this. I got you. Got to come out to Illinois. I got to get you on this this quarry, man, because I'm just crushing them out here. Maybe you can, because he's got his um his company, Fins and Feathers." Um, guide service. I'm like, maybe you can set one up out here. You bring a couple of clients out on the boat on the kayak. And he's like, dude, that sounds awesome. I'm showing these pictures. And he's like, yo, hold on. The UFC is calling me, dude. He's like, let me get back to you. He calls me back five minutes later. He's like, dude, we just got the call. We're fighting Conor McGregor in two weeks. I'm going to go to the gym right now because he was out hunting. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, was I was there. I was on the phone when he got the call, man. Um, so, uh -huh. anyway, it was yeah, fast forwarding. Um, I had seen what Chad's doing. I know his passion is hunting and fishing, man. And I'm always uh, I'm always fishing. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do besides um, you know coaching wrestling, wrestling, competing, and going mm -hmm. you know going to festivals and going to sporting events. So I figured, man, what what can I do to kind of transition? You know, once I'm um, done done competing, what what what's next? You know, and I figured I love to fish. I love to go to sporting events. I love to go to music festivals. Um, I love being around my fans. I love being around, around people. You know what I mean? That uh, we have like minded you know um, like minded people in business and in sports and fishing, whatever. I'm like, why don't we start this uh, little uh, fishing entertainment guide service? So I uh, got a hold of Chad and our business partner, Mike Papa. I was like, dudes, I don't know if you guys could help guide me on this, but I think I got a pretty cool concept for a business idea. I want to put a little twist on the fishing guide service, and I want to take our clients one step further. And after we take them fishing all day, we take them to a Cubs game. We take them to a Bears game. We take them to a UFC event. We take them to a wrestling event. We take them to a music uh, festival. We take them to a concert and hang out with them for a night and really get to create that, um, that environment, you know what I mean, for fans because they don't get to really interact a whole lot with, uh, you know, some of their heroes or whatever you want or some of their icons or some of their um, idols, their, sure. their favorite fighters, sure. whatever you want to call it, you know what I mean? So I appreciate them so much. I would love to, you know, I want to spend time with them and uh, learn from them, teach them some fishing, go out and have a good time, and then, you know, go, go watch a fight, get them cage side, you know, um, go take them, like I said, to Wrigleyville. Take anywhere in the country, man. Wherever there's sports, wherever there's fishing, wherever there's music, coast to coast, man. We want to hit it. And we want to show our clients and our fan base a good time. So that's kind of where the um, the concept "Gills and Thrills of Guida" came from. Dude, it, every uh, picture I see, it looks like you guys are just having the best time out there. Yeah, it's it really is, man. Um, we're very blessed to have such an awesome fan base, and that's why I always say wrestling and mixed martial arts have the most loyal fans ever. And um, to be able to have that support from them um, and, and Chad Mendez and Mike Papa at Fins and Feathers. So, we, yeah, we've, we've teamed up and uh, we're growing this thing. And uh, we're going to be locking in more dates here soon for upcoming events in 2020, 2021. And, uh, yeah, people can check it out, obviously, on Instagram at uh, Gills and Thrills of Guida. And then our websites are linked together. The Fins and Feathers um, guides and Gills and Thrills of Guida.com are linked together. So go check out our pages. Look for upcoming events. And, uh yeah, it's going to be awesome, guys. Dude, I'm going to sign up for it. Shit. <laughs> oh, we're, ta we're taking you off for sure, my man. Dude. There's some great water. Uh, not in the Chicago area where you're at, but uh, out, out west where you're at. There's some beautiful private lakes. You know that, man. I'm sure Dude. you're going up and you got to hit some of them.
I just got back from Colorado for a little weekend getaway out in Breckenridge area, Lake Dillon. It's freaking beautiful Breck. out there, dude. Um, Breck, Breck is beautiful. That was one of my stops on my trek back home in the S10 Blazer with the busted exhaust. I stopped at the, the Breckenridge Brewery and got myself a couple of little growlers and stuff to bring home. And Breckenridge is awesome, man. I miss Colorado. I love it out there. Well, dude, last, last thing for you. I know you're a busy guy. There's so many stories that I even get a chance to get on, but we'll, we'll get it later. We'll do one in the, in yeah. the camper. Just give for us sure. uh, a couple, couple thoughts on, you know, obviously you're very passionate about wrestling. Um, even though you got into it later, why the passion and what, what kind of foundation has it given you for this incredible life you've built for yourself here? That's an awesome question. I cannot picture my life without the sport of wrestling. I say this all the time. I wouldn't be in mixed martial arts without wrestling. Wrestling saved my life. Wrestling changed my life. It's changed my family's lives. Um, it puts food on the table. Um, it's taught us, you know, everything, you know, starting, you know, with, uh, you know, obviously you hear this over and over with commitment, with dedication, you know, with, there is no, there's no such thing as the word quit. It doesn't even ever cross my, you know, my brainwaves. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's helped me in business and family. Every decision I make comes back to wrestling. And I believe uh, truly that it's the, the greatest catalyst, it's the greatest foundation for mixed martial arts, but I believe it's the greatest foundation for life. And I know countless wrestlers that are CEOs, owners of businesses, foremans, um, in, in, you know, big construction companies, you name it, any facet of life, wrestling fits in there and it will change your life for the positive, man. In relationships and uh, friendships, family, whatever it may be, um, it's a special thing. And we're the lucky ones because, you know, far less than 1% of the world's population wrestles and those that do have seen some sort of success in life. You know what I mean? And, um, it's something we hold near and dear to our heart and uh, we're very blessed to do it. And I'm glad that you started this podcast because we're huge fans. We're huge supporters of it. And it's changed my life and it's going to continue to as well. And I'm just uh, super excited about uh, what you guys are doing in the sport. And I can't wait to uh, wrestling. Is, it's never going anywhere, but I can't wait yeah. to see some, some competition. Yeah. Man. Dude. Uh, man, we're, we're itching for it. Dude. The world needs wrestling. The world needs uh, sports all together, but definitely wrestling. You and me both, brother. I can't wait to see some matches get back going. You know, I can't wait to watch you fight in a couple of weeks. So there's a lot to look forward to. We wish you nothing but the best, sir. Massive, massive fans here, uh, here in Chicago. My brother and I are, um, again, nothing but the best, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Ryan, thank you so much, guys. Wrestling changed my life. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.